Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 66. Thanks so much for joining us. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of conversing with Ashley Massey, an academic advisor and one of the deans of students for Colby Academy, and Kim Crawford, a beloved instructor and department chair. We canvass the ways they approach building community and relationship across the miles and among generations to meet the needs we all have for connection. We might also rhapsodize about our mutual affinity for libraries. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. I'm in the virtual presence of two fearless ladies, Kim Crawford, chair of Colby Academy's English and Literature Department, and Ashley Massey of Colby's Academic Advising Office, and others, it sounds like. We'll have to hear about that. Welcome back to the Colby Cast, Kim, and welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Hi, it's great to be here. Both of these ladies have appeared on Colby's Facebook Friday series of live Q&A sessions hosted on the Colby Academy Facebook page. My hat is off to both of you for your admirable showings on on these occasions. Improvisational speaking is not my bailiwick. Uh, Kim and I visited on episode 52 through a Catholic lens, and she was part of the cast party on episode 50. So I'll drop those links in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to those episodes. I'm so glad to have her back today to be a part of this conversation with Ashley, who's one of several new-ish advisors in the academic services department and doing lots of other things too. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So Ashley, we're hoping to get to know you a little bit today and get your perspective on aspects of Catholic homeschool life. I understand though you were homeschooled yourself in high school and have worked in libraries, which are some of my favorite places. I'm one of those people who maxes out her library card and teaches my children to do the same. And so do you have any standout memories from your library days? Oh, I mean, there are a lot. There's so many memories from library days. Yeah, so I, I was homeschooled in, in high school. So growing up, going to um, the library was a very much a normal thing for my family. We went there every week. We would bake things for the staff. Um, that's kind of how we got to know, you know, how do we find books and how do you find materials and, you know, getting to the best resources, you know, primary source materials, things like that. Uh, and that was actually the in for being hired at the library. And I stayed at that library for, I think, six and a half, seven years. So, like, through my college, high school and college days, um, for my undergrad. And my two younger sisters also got jobs there. So then it became a family thing. We all worked in separate different departments, but, you know, helped each other. So it was great growing up, um, you know, around family and with family and all of us sharing that love of learning and of books at the library. Um, unfortunately, I think all of my memories are kind of like <laughs> the crazy things of, what people would return to the library and mm-hmm. sometimes you'd get um audio, i remember this audiobook back and it was like infested with bugs and opening it up oh, to no. check it back in and it was just all these insects crawled out and oh, no. <laughs> oh such a gross experience um oh, yeah. but i got to meet some really great people um i think when you have you know co-workers that share your same interest hobbies especially love of reading even if you see life completely different, you can find such amazing ways to connect with others. And I think some of my greatest friendships are those that I work with at the library district, and I still keep in, in contact with them. So that's that's the blessing there. Yes, it's it's been our happy place for a long time, story time, and now um, now everybody is in a different stage, but still make frequent use of the library. Yeah, there's so, so many great resources. Of- you know, oh, from yeah. books, movies, audio books, you know, taking tests at home, studying for the AP exam, 
you know, my husband's about to apply for law school, so he's using their LSAT materials, study for the LSAT. So there's just a plethora of resources there that sometimes we don't know about, but are fully accessible to us if we make the time to, to learn and to ask. And I love it because even if you're driving, I used to do this a lot when I was driving, um, I'd call my local library and ask for a reference desk and say, I need to find the address or can you tell me how to get to this location? Because I didn't have a smartphone until my late 20s. So I would just call my library. Like, this is where I'm at. This is where I need to go. How do I get there? Because <laughs> my dad got tired of me calling him. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's another great resource. You know, use use your librarians for that, that information. Anything. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a genius idea. I know there are so many resources available through the library. I barely scratched the surface of what, what the library what offers, have, I think. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's very interesting. I love hearing the stories, too. Uh, we have a dear friend who has worked for the library for a long time, and sometimes. Mm. Yeah, crazy oh things. And I work for three different districts in, in Las Vegas. So, you know, both, you know, uh, the college library and, and Henderson in Las Vegas. So it's very different, different populations, different people, different needs. But, you know, library staff are always willing to serve, which I find you know, very attractive. Like, how do we help people? You know, how do we get them connected with their resources or things that they need? So, I agree. Libraries are fantastic places for families. In fact, uh, whenever we have a new kindergartner, it's a big deal. We go to the library, we sign up for the library card once they're, you know, an established reader, and I take a picture of them with their card and their book that they're checking out and with the librarian, and it's a whole thing. And you know, just it's a place of memories. We've been to magic shows and reptile shows. And, you know, it's, of course, family, community, everything happens at the library, too. In fact, one of my kids, when they were little, was telling his sibling to knock it off because, you know, mom can find a corner anywhere, even at the library. And so <laughs> just libraries being Don't so <laughs> integrated into family life and in the community, it is just my favorite. I was upset the other day and I was like, I need to go to the library. And I went and browsed and I felt a lot better. And I came home with 10 books, which was awesome. And then, uh, you know, we went to reconciliation yep. the other day and then out to breakfast <laughs> and then to the library. And so just having the library just as a community place, as a, a feel better place, as, you know, the occasional stand in the corner place is just such a, a wonderful thing to bring into both your family and the community at large. Love it. Happy place. Yes. So I understand you were homeschooled as a teenager yourself. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So I was actually homeschooled in high school. Um, I went to a private like parochial school that my parents, my grandparents had gone, gone to. Um, so it was, you know, my community. And most of when I graduated eighth grade, most of my um, peers were going to a local private Catholic high school, which wasn't really known for being uh, truly Catholic and a lot of, you know, drugs and things that my parents don't want me involved in. So they decided, let's homeschool you. So this was oh, 17, 18 years ago. So, you know, homeschooling back then was very different than it is now. Uh, so I was actually homeschooled through Seton, a competitor of Colby almost. Um, so <laughs> sometimes people ask me their questions. How does Seton compare to Colby? And I thought, well, that's 15, 20 years ago. So I can't really describe too much in detail. Um, but I was homeschooled and I hated the first year. I created so many problems for my parents. And then after ninth grade, I didn't want to stop homeschooling. I didn't want to stop homeschooling so much that it took me five years to graduate high school. 
because I drug my senior year out because I was terrified. I was terrified of, do I know enough to go to college? You know, I didn't have any other sibling students in my own grade level. It was just you know me. And then I had my two younger siblings who were three and five years younger than me. So I was kind of the guinea pig for all of this, you know? So I remember just telling my mom, like, I don't, I don't want to go to college yet. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready. And I'm, I'm, you know, she kept trying to motivate me. Like, don't you want to graduate high school the same year all your, your friends graduate high school? And I'm like, they're not even my friends anymore, you know, from my eighth grade class. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't concerned about that. But I felt that being at home, being homeschooled, it really helped me solidify my relationship with my sisters and my family. You know, my parents, my extended family, my cousins, my grandparents. And I'm so rooted in family, I would never trade it for anything ever. I take my parents all the time for homeschooling me now. I know that ninth grade year was rough, and I apologize to them for that. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry for all the troubles I caused. Uh, that stubborn, firstborn, um, you know, attitude type A. And uh, when I, and, you know, eventually when I graduated, went to college, I was above everyone else in, in education and not to my own credit, but really to the education I was afforded that my parents sacrificed for, for being homeschooled. Uh, I was so challenged to write and to read and to learn how to dissect the information I was learning in high school. That by the time I got to college, they were still teaching in our English courses how to write a, a five paragraph essay. I was like, I learned how to do this in ninth grade. We're, we're past this. I wrote a 20 page paper for my you know, high school uh, kind of like quote unquote thesis. I'm well beyond this, you know, so it was very much um, realizing that I was going to have to find ways to challenge myself in college compared to, to high school. College was a breeze, <laughs> which is probably why I continue, you know, I'm still a student and I think I'll be a student my entire life just because I love learning and I love to challenge myself. And I think that was really fostered in high school when I was able to, you know, delve into, hey, I love theology. I could read theology books all day long. I could spend three, four hours, get all of my work done and then read whatever subjects that I really wanted to delve into and learn more about or you know my mom had us in um, a pottery class where we learned how to throw clay and make all of these horrible pottery things that my sisters and I now want to throw away because it's so atrocious but <laughs> my mom hangs on to because they're you know part of our childhood or you know we went to reading classes and poetry classes and we had a bowling group and so many things that I'm sure you guys are aware of that you can do as a homeschooler that you just can't do when you're in a, a public or even a private school. Yes, there are so many experiences, so many opportunities, more so all the time. Yeah, I think that ninth grade year is just a humdinger for everyone, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's like... got to be, right? I mean, no matter if you're in brick and mortar school or homeschool, right? There's just mm -hmm. that transition of you're leaving middle school for high school. And this is more focused on what the rest of your adult life looks like. Although it doesn't determine everything, it's kind of your first chance to really take that intentional moment of, I'm going to dig in deep because this is going to set the precedent for what's to come. So it is, I mean, it's, I think it's scary no matter what. Oh, that setting the tone for the rest of your life. I remember the night before ninth grade, I had this, and you know, first child, oldest, type A, had this super dramatic moment where I looked in the mirror and I was like, Kim, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. And it was ridiculous. And I mean, what kind of movies or TV shows that I've been watching that I was just building up this moment. But you know, it did. I mean, knowing to take it seriously, I took it seriously. And I was so 
driven in high school and then, you know, was able to get a scholarship to go to college and then was driven in college so I could get into the school of education and then as teaching. And so it really does help set the tone. And then you have to do a 180 when you have six kids because you just, you got to relax, man. (laughs) (laughs) If I stressed out about everything like I did in high school, I would have stopped at one and just, you know, now I'm so laid back. I'm almost dead because (laughs) just, you have to pick your battles and just, you know what? It's okay that someone scheduled a birthday party at the same time of ours. Who cares? (laughs) More cake. More cake for everyone. (laughs) And that's how the library becomes a safe space, right? (laughs) That's right. Mom, calm down. Let's go to the library. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken me a long time to come to that place of like if we're late somewhere we'll get there when we get there not because we are just sitting around and not proactive about getting where we need to be but things happen and we are not always going to get where we need to be exactly right anyway so then how did you find your way to Colby or did Colby find you I'm trying to think about how it happened because there's actually a period I think of a year and a half um so in between you know working at a library I became a net missionary for a year and then worked for Net Ministries for a second year. Um, and came home, returned to the library. And I, you know, I'd always wanted to be a youth minister and started a, a master's in pastoral studies to work on marriage and family life. And then wanted to start my counseling degree because working with families in a church setting, you know, you kind of see a lot of the struggles and wanting to get to the root of those struggles and I knew, you know, I can only do so much as a youth minister when I was a youth minister. And so really wanting to be more clinically involved in therapy. And I left my youth ministry position right at the start of COVID before knowing COVID was happening and really felt a draw. You know, I wanted a a work at home job and I had um, seen Colby. And so I think from being homeschooled, I'd always had a draw to help the homeschooling community and to help families. I think that's one thing that all of my work experience has in common is how do I serve to uh, help families and serve the person and connect them and see their dignity and help them see their dignity. And uh, so I had previously looked at applying for Seton out of college, my first college degree, and um, then kind of got involved with that ministries and came home and was kind of searching for the path and kind of waiting for God to kind of open of what was next and was searching for work at home positions and in education and I wanted something Catholic to help you know the mission of the church and to help strengthen those families and that's my kind of discovered Colby I had never heard of Colby before and started researching them about a year and a half ago and I had seen positions open for substitute teachers and I had substitute taught in a virtual school in Nevada before for four or five years so I was familiar with what it meant to substitute teach online. I was in K through 12, but I was normally in K through eight and I taught. So I was familiar with that. And I just had a prompting in my heart, like apply, apply, apply. And of course did not apply. <laughs> I did not do it. You know, it just, it just didn't, as much as I felt it on my heart, it didn't seem like the right time. And I, and I think, you know, knowing how God speaks to you is important because that is something that God does is he puts something on my heart for a pretty long time. And then in a moment, it's just do it, you know, and I, I know when that moment is, but, it, and I also know when that moment's not, and it wasn't quite that moment to apply yet, and then nine months to a year later had passed, and I saw more positions open, 
And I thought, you know, I regretted not applying last time, so I'm going to do it this time. Got an interview, was hired as a substitute teacher, and then was also brought on as an academic advisor. And so I started that about the same week that I got married this, this year of 2021 in January. So it was just a whirlwind of changes uh, all at the same time. So that's kind of what led me to Colby. It was definitely prompting of God and my stubbornness in a way, kind of prevented it from starting earlier than I could have. But, you know, everything in God's timing and providence. So uh, no regrets there, but I'm so thankful to be a part of this community. You know, the, from the, my peers, my academic advisor peers, um, the executive team, the teachers, the students, the parents, everyone. It's just a joy to work with them and try to figure out how do we best serve your family and how do you best serve your family as the primary educator? And giving or empowering parents to know that hey, this is your God-given role and it's not something to be scared of because God's going to ask you to do it. He's going to give you the grace to do it, do it well, and to do it well in your failings. I think that's the, that's the most comforting part. And so when I get to speak that to parents, I think it, it helps me know that for when it's my time to be a parent, that I'll be prepared. But it also gives me joy in sharing that, that, you know, we have a God that loves us so much that he's going to help us do those things well that we're called to do. He's not just leaving us stranded, you know, being the primary educator, it's kind of a scary thing, uh, especially when you're new to homeschooling and to know that you have a God that's right there with you and that and the messiness of how, what we know that homeschooling can be, as you guys described, right, with all of your kids, you have to kind of let things go and birthdays will get double scheduled, but you know, you see the joy in it, right, Kim, like more cake, <laughs> like, you know, focus on the good and the good gets better. So. I think that's kind of like what led me to Colby and, and why I, I have no plans on leaving <laughs> in the near future. It sounds like your background is ideally suited to serving the Colby families as you are. I'm always curious to hear more from the advisors, like what is it like for you in the advising office and no, being on the receiving end of a lot of help from the advisors and lots of reassurance over the years and those moments that when we parents reach out to you advisors for assistance, sometimes it's some of those moments are very difficult. So your right. accompaniment up with us at those moments is, is so appreciated. And so to hear your perspective of it from, from the advisor side is really interesting to me. Sure. And I think, you know, it can be difficult when you are, especially are new to homeschooling because you have so many options now, you know, compared to when I was homeschooled, there were a couple choices that we got to pick my parents picked for me. Um, and now you have you know, I mean, Colby alone offers, you have an online program, you have self-paced courses, you have traditional school at home courses, you can do a mix of all three. And I'm very much, I don't like options. <laughs> Cut and dry, like, this is my one choice. It's okay, I don't have to veer off, you know, it's like the safe one choice. And with Colby, we give so much customization. And I think on our advising team, we very much are willfully burdened with this idea that the advice we are giving to parents is going to shape their child's education, right? So we have to be well-informed and know what we offer. And, that, and that's difficult. You know, I have to learn the curriculum and best choices for what suits their students' specific needs because we are so customizable. We really want to help each child individually. And that doesn't mean that everyone gets a cookie-cutter plan. It means we get the option to mold and create the best curriculum for your student. And even looking with them, you know, special learning needs students who might need either a higher level of reading, math, English, whatever it may be, or a lower level. And to be able to provide the accommodations to help parents know what they can do, whether it's the online classroom or traditional school at home courses, how they can modify that, 
or accommodate their students in the online program to best learn. So I think that's one of the joys that I find in, in advising, the knowing that what I say will go a long way, so I have to know what I, I'm saying is correct. But having a great team where I can always reach back out, you know, we have a lot of advisors who've been with Kobe for a very long time. And so you ask them one question and they're going to give me two paragraph answer on the history of why this was chosen over this, even just like a page in the course plan of why it was edited the way it was. And, and I love that we're around so many people who are very intentional in the mission of Colby to support families in their role of educators for their children and to, in the day-to-day, -day, how do we find Christ? How do we live out our faith and our mission as, as Catholic Christians in the world through just education? That's something I've long appreciated about Colby is the respect that everyone shows to the parents interacting. And I was asking uh, Dina Muth on a recent conversation if she finds parents surprised at the wealth of options available, like you're talking about mm -hmm. that sometimes it's overwhelming how many options there are. And, and because I, I was one of those like, oh, I don't even know. Just tell me what I need to do. Or, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, I had an idea in, in a couple of areas, like we probably need to adjust a little bit here, but I, overall, I really am looking to you for this guidance and, and you all give that, but at the same time, it's not like um, didactic. And that's, yeah, it's a good point. Something when I tell new families, pick something and stick with it. And then if it's not working, change it up. For me, math was really hard to learn in high school. My teachers in middle school were not that great at math. And so I wasn't that great at math. And so my mom had to enroll me in two different curriculums of math in high school every year. So I ended up doing eight math courses in high school. <laughs> you know, I did uh, Matthew C and Saxon. And some people hate Saxon and some people hate Matthew C. But there are two very different ways of learning math. Yeah. You know, so I felt very supported. And so I think that's, that's the beauty, though. Picking something, going with it, trying it out. And if it doesn't work, you can switch it up. Can't really do that maybe in high school so much. <laughs> yeah. For the younger grades, when you're starting out, trying it out, figuring out which math program works, what, what books they love to read, what sparks that love of reading, and not being afraid to try. And then adjusting is needed. So making those little changes like you were talking about, definitely doable when you homeschool. Yep. People have strong feelings about their math programs. I know that's yeah, for sure. they do. <laughs> like, <very laughs> Definitely. Like, Which method, right? Spiral, linear, right. all those different. Yeah. Yes, understandably. Your youth ministry background, I'm thinking it comes in handy for uh, working with parents of adolescents. Yes. I especially I worked with students, middle school, high school, young adults. So my focus was 12-year-olds to 29-year-olds. And when working with adolescents, it's very much just listening hearing them. One of the best things my mom did for me when I was homeschooled was listening to me complain about how much I hated being homeschooled in ninth grade. And I felt heard. It didn't change my situation. I was still homeschooled. I still had to do my schoolwork, you know, but feeling like I had someone to hear me was really important. To have someone to show up for me and fight for me even when I didn't want to fight for myself when I was homeschooled. And feeling, I felt really alone in high school for a good bit until I got more connected and realized that it's okay to have friends who are not in my same grade level, you know? And so helping your student, I would say for parents, helping your middle school or high school age students really find what they love about themselves, the skills and talents and gifts that the Lord has blessed them with and how you can help foster that in them, not only help them live their mission and purpose in life that the Lord has called them to, but to gain self-confidence in 
standing out from the world, right? That we all don't have to go to the public school or private school to have a good education, that it can happen at home. And that's actually what the Lord has called us to, you know, to be the primary educators, to not actually hand that off to someone else. Um, and so to take on that role of what brings my, my child to life and how can I support them in that life-giving thing that the Lord wants them to receive life from, you know? Yes. And, and the ways around, not just the academic subjects, but all the ways, the whole personhood of helping them grow into the people they're called to be. That's, yeah. and I feel like I say that so much that it almost loses its meaning anymore. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she's saying that again, like, why, why are you talking about this again? You know, like, here we are talking about this again, mom, why? whatever. But so I think that is helpful to have you all alongside to accompany us on that path. And when it starts, the shine starts to wear off to kind of bolster it a little bit. So Kim, your oldest is how old now? And you, what's your age range of your kids again? Oh, they range from a senior in high school who's 17 to a first grader who's six. And so, yeah, and I've got three teenagers and we'll have uh, a fourth this coming January. And so, yeah, I love working with teenagers and they're so interesting and you can have really deep, meaningful conversations with them about almost anything. And I really like what you said, Ashley, about helping them find something they love and supporting them in it. My second son is, he'll he'll be a sophomore and will be receiving the Sacrament of Confirmation in November. And so we've been working on his service components and the Corporal Spiritual Works of Mercy. He chose his confirmation saint and he chose Saint Cecilia, who is patron saint of musicians, because that is what gives Sam life. Cool. He is a drummer. He plays in a youth symphony. He does marching band. He does jazz band. He is a musician. And Matt and I don't know where it came from because <laughs> we don't have a musical bone in our bodies. But Sam loves music. And so even though St. Cecilia is, you know, a chick and Sam is not, and he's like, okay, so the bishop's going to call me Cecilia? And I said, <laughs> yes. And I said, are you okay with that? He's like, but I don't have to go by Cecilia. And I'm like, no, you never have to use it. He's like, okay, that's cool. I'll be Cecilia for the day and, you know, have this connection to a patron saint of music because that is what Sam loves music 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 but having teenagers it's it's such a difficult time for them sometimes because they're figuring out who they are they're figuring out who they do and who they don't want to be and I think it's uh important but sometimes hard for us parents to remember what it was like when we were teenagers because Mm -hmm. you know now we're completely have it together. Adults so hard, uh, you know, have all the answers, know everything. But, um, you know, I knew everything when I was 17 too. Mm -hmm. And then I turned 18 and realized I didn't know anything. But (laughs) having teenagers, it's, um, it's just really important to connect to them and have them know that you are available and that not only are you available, but that you're really interested in them. And so that's part of, you know, I love having my own teenagers and I love teaching teenagers and making those connections. And in modern lit one year, we were just talking about how hard it is to be a teenager. Sometimes we were talking about Huck Finn and, and we weren't real sure how old he is. Cause he seems young, but like the book at one point says he's 15, but I'm like, no, this guy's 12. He's just, um, he just acts like a 12 year old. And so we were just talking about teenagehood and how difficult that is. And one of uh, 
my students confessed, right? She was like, you guys, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, tell us. And she's like, I really like the book Catcher in the Rye. And uh, it was so funny because she felt like she shouldn't because, you know, it says GD every, actually multiple times each page. And I said, I understand your reticence to admit that you like it. But once you get past that, and it is significant, thank you for noticing, but just the angstiness, she's like, I really felt it. I really felt that teenage angst and like that's how I feel sometimes and and just it's important to for them and for parents of teenagers this too shall pass so it's uh you know that becoming that Matthew Kelly says becoming the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. and trying to walk it without getting too far off the path and that's where parents are so important as examples as soundboards as just being available you know, my husband is a pumpkin, right? He like nine thirty. He's like, oh, good night. And meanwhile, I, uh, you know, I'm a night owl, and so I'll be up till like two. I'll be like, so, what, what book should I look for now? And so we're just very different in how we approach our our days. But Ben, being seventeen and a driver and a social teenager he'll come home driving curfew is midnight and so I'm like all right that's cool you're responsible you can be home at midnight I can't go to sleep until he's home meanwhile Matt's like all right tell me how it was make me up if he doesn't come home right yes yes let me know if he doesn't show up and I don't mind one I'm a night owl so I'm up anyway but two like I'm getting older I'll start getting sleepy around 11 30 but I'll Make sure that I'm available for him. So if he wants to chat about how his night was or, you know, if he comes home jazzed or if he comes home upset, that uh, I'm available. And so I think that's such an important role for parents and something that as a teacher, I'm sometimes in loco parentis, right? I'm their parent while they're with me. And I have lots of people share. There's this homework activity that I have Uh, students do called Mercy. And they do it uh, once a week. And they take one of the 14 corporal or spiritual works of mercy and apply it to what they're reading that week. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for them to be the hands and feet of Christ. But then also for them to explore their thoughts about things. And then I can start a dialogue with them about, you know, I, I had a student who was like, oh, I'm really struggling with my faith. And and so that was an opportunity for us to talk about doubt and faith. And I want to say it's Matthew 9 something, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so it was just a, a really lovely opportunity to walk with her and grow with her a little bit. Yeah. And so just being a teenager is so hard but so wonderful there's just so much potential and your whole future is ahead of you such an exciting time of life it's true once you've fostered a relationship with teens that are not your own right so kim in school setting for me when i was a youth minister you know i remember trying my best to i had 150 plus students in youth group confirmation young adults middle school And I can't be friends. I can't have a youth minister relationship with each one of them. So, you know, I told my core team, pick out 10 to 15 different young adults, teens, and foster those relationships. So that way, when they need someone, you already have a relationship 
with that person. And I think Kim described that perfectly of she's in this environment with her teens in an education setting, fostering that relationship where when that young adult comes and says, hey, I'm, I'm actually struggling with this, or I feel like this is a safe space to say, I'm feeling angsty like this character I'm reading about in this book, and I feel this, you know, struggle with finding my, who God calling me to be, or who I need to be, or who I want to be, and maybe liking something I feel like I shouldn't, but there's an underlying theme there. And when you're that person, wow, it's such a, that's such a gift to say, thanks God for letting me be that person for this young adult who's trying to find themselves. And I think that goes back to always fostering the positives, right? Like having more good interactions with young people. So it's not always a negative, 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 but you know, meeting them in that moment, like Kim said, you know, waiting up or she's already up anyway, but meeting her son when he comes to the door, like, hey, how was your night? It doesn't have to be this planned conversation, just meeting each other in the busyness, the realness, the messiness of life and letting those moments unfold as they can, but just being there, being present parallels with your advising role too, just that your presence there for when someone needs you, it's like adolescents and parents. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Too. Yeah. Kim, I think it's really neat. Your weekly mercy homework assignment that really puts those works of mercy. It makes them very tangible for students. I mean, how much time do we spend memorizing them, working on them, reading about them, learning about them, but putting them into practice is the whole goal, right? Probably makes it very real Well, it's fun to watch them grow because you have people who buy in immediately, right? And they're, this week, Huck is a raggy little fellow. I donated clothes to the people who didn't have clothing because poor Huck, no clothing. And then you get the kids who are like, why do we have to do this every week? Are you kidding me? And then by the end of the year, so many of them have come around and are like, I did not see the point of this. I am so glad we did this. I have really come to look forward to this. I've grown in my faith. I've learned what I can do to help people. And it's funny because I was considering making it instead of weekly, having it per book. So, all right, we'll we'll just do it per book. We'll streamline a little bit. You know, they won't have to do so much work. And I mentioned this to my husband who was aghast. He was like, what? He's like, of course you have to do that every week. That's one of the best things you do. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just funny because I didn't realize he had been paying such close attention. And so that was good. And, and then, of course, you know, with uh, Modern Lit, Modern Lit gets the mercies. And then AP Lit, we go... Um, you know, a little deep and fast. And so in their book journals, I have them make a Catholic connection. Of course, if you listen to our podcast through a Catholic lens, but, um, and so everything we do in both modern lit and AP lit is tied back to our faith, but I might have to consider putting more obvious mercies within AP lit because I have them, you know, of course, make their own personal Catholic connection to the books we read, but, uh, I'm, Mercy might be nice. I'll think about that. Thank you. I bet they think of those down the road. Those will come back to them all throughout their lives. And the time they spent working on those, I think that's going to serve them well for a long time to come. That's great. So both of you are skilled in working with adolescents and students in, in these communities you've been serving for a long time. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on, on team building and community in the online environment that, that Colby makes use of for families who do traditional school at home and 
also use the online academy or a mix of a mix of those and self-paced a whole array of options. But forming this community that is one Colby family, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those. Tim, I know you have notes. So yeah. I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> Sherry, I'm probably going to learn from you, please. Well, it's funny because I've, um, you know, as a teacher and whenever I write a student recommendation, I talk about how they contribute to our online bonhomie, right? Which can be, uh, you know, a wily and elusive, but very, very important facet of being in an online class, because if it's just me talking the whole time, that is not enjoyable. And if they are willing to participate, I mean, it's just like anything, the more you give in, the more you'll get out. And the willingness to be open. Also, as you know, the facilitator of the class, I have to be willing to be open and willing to take a risk and willing to be silly and things that I do to help facilitate that. Uh, I use a lot of humor. I use a lot of memes and games and jokes and just, you almost never know what you'll get when you show up. You know, I have this uh, wheel that I spin sometimes and we spun it and the person had to write a paragraph in that tone you know, a, a serious tone or a satirical tone or whatever. And that willingness to be open. And with my teenagers, because I like teenagers so much, it's just really easy. It comes naturally. It doesn't come the first week. It comes a few weeks in. Sometimes, you know, it takes us all semester to where we can be comfortable and joke with each other. And I feel like when they are willing to engage and willing to make those, you know, silly comments as well, then it just helps the class gel when we can be conversant rather than, okay, everybody, turn to page eight. Yeah. And the story of, um, you know, when we were all switching our names around, when we gave ourselves Russian patronymics, when we were reading Crime and Punishment, and, you know, then we addressed each other as, you know, Kimberly Kristoforovna for uh, <laughs> the rest of class or just silliness, right? And because we live in the world, right? And so drawing things from pop culture that they'll know, and then they're like, oh, I know that. I can't believe she knows that. You know, I was calling names on the first day and I was like, introduce yourself. And, you know, someone was named something from a comedy sketch. And I was like, oh, A-A-Ron. And they're like, ah, you know that one. <laughs> and, uh, and so they were excited. And so just really making an effort to, be connected to the things that they're connected to and taking an interest in them and being available. And then, so that's the teaching side um, with my department, which I, uh, you know, conduct department meetings and serve as the liaison between executive administration and teaching staff. And that I consider it my role to be supportive and to advocate for them. And they know that I've got their back. And that way when, uh, you know, I see something in class when I visit class or I watch a recording and I've got to talk to them about, you know, something that's not as pleasant. So uh, I always try to couch it as, you know what? I saw this. Here's how I think we could improve it. Not you did this terribly. Wow. I can't believe you did that. That is the yeah. worst teaching I've ever seen. And Honestly, that has never happened because we have amazing teachers. But when I do have to provide constructive criticism, 
it goes over pretty smoothly because I really work hard to be available to my teachers, to be available to them through different means, uh, through Teams or text or phone or email or, you know, carrier pigeon, whatever. (laughs) And I think they know that and appreciate it. And you know what? I probably play more games with my department than I do with my students. (laughs) Don't tell my students my department meetings, if I say so myself, are pretty fun. We have sung Emily Dickinson poems to different tunes. We've spun, you know, the, the wheel of death where they had to pick something off the wheel and we have little contests and they win a prize. But that team building, that community building, so that way, you know, you do have someone to call on, hey, I just had this awesome idea. Or is it awesome? Is this awesome? I think it is. What do you think? And, you know, <laughs> we can bounce ideas off each other. And then also, oh, hey, I saw this. I'd prefer if we went about it this way instead of that way. And so that way, there's always room for improvement and growth. And they know that I'm their advocate that, you know, I'll listen to their concerns and take them to admin and discuss it and either come back with a, oh, you're right, don't worry about that, or "Mm, this is how we have to do it, but here's why. And here's what I said. I brought your concerns, and it's a curious position to be both an administrator and a teacher, Mm -hmm. but I've always got teacher's backs. It sounds like you're able to speak more difficult things from a place of respect and this rapport you have built up that you're very intentional about creating that. Ashley, what have you found to work for you in building communities in the online space so far here at Colby or in, in other contexts? Sure. I think like what, what Kim had explained, you know, in, in the online environment, it can be elusive to get that community feel and to, to feel like you know one another and to be intentional with your time. So when I joined Colby, they were actually fantastic about creating a good online community for us advisors. Uh, We have a spiritual social team. I'm actually on that team. There's three or four of us now. And we plan monthly events where it's no work talk. (laughs) We get to know one another. Um, One of the things that our advisor, Rylan, came up with was this uh, user manual template. So all the advisors got a template of a user manual, like, when is my best time to work? What do I, what's my favorite work task? to do at Colby? What's the least favorite task to do? Some of the things that bring joy to my day, some of the things that don't bring joy, things that you just maybe don't feel comfortable asking someone, or you might not think to ask in an online work environment. And we had everyone present their user manual. They got to include funny memes. I would say this, is it GIF or GIF? Because I've been told you could say it either way, (laughs) but then I got scolded for saying it the wrong way. So I don't, I'm so afraid when I say they got to include, you know, their, is it, GIF is the peanut butter. It's a GIF, right? Is that? I think, I think that's, that's right. I think okay. that is the prevailing. Okay. Yeah. But it looks like GIF. Well, I know. GIF, that's my problem. Yeah, and GIF, GIF is just GIF. awkward. <laughs> yes. And I think even the, the person who created the terminology said that you can do it either way. You can say either pronunciation. So. There again, strong feelings. Uh, Math curriculum. GIF, GIF or GIF. Right. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> so touchy. So they were able to create, you know, put their memes in, put their gifts in, and any songs or things like that. So we really got to know one another that way. So I think doing those activities that help you to learn about yourself and your coworkers, especially in the online environment when it's so easy to read an email or a text or a team notification and assume someone's 
intention or their tone and take it the wrong way and just be, you know, I, I use emoticons too much. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a big emails. abuser of emoticons. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's so easy when, you know, you're having a conversation with someone and you know, it could be taken the wrong way for a little smiley face in there. Like it's all good. You know, I mean this from a, a place of love, you know, especially when you're giving that criticism, right? Hey, I, I saw this happen let's try to do it this way next time, smiley face. You know, automatically, there's no harm, no foul, you know, that you can kind of read into that. We use a lot of memes and gifts uh, on our team's messaging for our advising. So finding those ways to get to know one another, whether it's, you know, we've even done like Myers-Briggs for one another, you know, where are we similar? Where are we different? Who's the introverted ones? Who are the extroverted ones? The extroverted ones are always the one answering the phones at Colby, in case you haven't noticed, you talk to the same people when you call. Uh, <laughs> the introverted ones are the ones on chat, which would be myself. Um, <laughs> although I do love talking to parents over the phone. I just, those, you know, on the phone waiting and you have the unexpected caller with the unexpected question. It's like panic mode. So just learning, learning what makes each other tick, you know, again, being present, knowing each other, finding those ways to serve one another by really getting to know them. I think Kim explained a lot of great ways she does that both for her students and in her, her role as department chair for those that she works for and with. And I think we do the same thing as advisors, as a executive team and for the advising staff that how do we learn to rely upon each other when we're not all, you know, in, physically in the same space either. Mm -hmm. Sounds like great ways to overcome the, the distance, the physical distance. It's, and it, it's so hard when we, we bring our own perspective, our own approach, all the, whatever internal dialogues happening, that's how we read mm -hmm. what's coming at us in the text form. Right. So I, the emoticons and the, and the <laughs> animated things, <laughs> I'm not even going there. <laughs> right. I, I'm not so good with those. I'm, I will say my skill, my skills in that area have improved this year of being on the podcast because I was not really much of a user of those before it's got into this business. So that's <laughs> been an it's improvement for me. Right. I, I love seeing the community that you guys have as Colby teachers and staff and admin, everybody, those who serve the Colby families, the community that you all have on that side. And thinking about when we have families who are joining Colby for the first time, there's that sense of, okay, we've come from a community and now we have nothing. <laughs> We're doing this all on our own. How do we become a part of what community is already here and new people might feel like everyone else knows how to do this. And I don't, we've got Facebook groups for our classes that are good ways for people to get to know each other within the classes, meaning uh, students of a certain graduating class here that there's a, a group for each one of those for enrolled families. Then there's also a big group on Facebook of, of families who use Colby a little or a lot. However, they use Colby, the online courses or a mixture of things, or even if they use one course and they just buy the course plan for that and use that and they're not enrolled at all. Anyway, any, any way people use Colby, there's that group for them. And then within the online academy families, there is discussion groups for them. There are lots of ways to connect with each other. It takes a little bit of time. And I think that's difficult mm -hmm. at the beginning of the school year when everything's up in the air. It just takes a while to get settled, I think. And that it goes for the parents too, especially if folks are making a switch from one type of school to another that just takes more time than we think it will. And we're especially vulnerable, I think, at those times when we've made that big transition. We want to find a new group right away so that it feels less less uncomfortable okay. from making this change. And so for folks who are in that place, know that we see you, we hear you, and, and that we are looking to 
to find ways to to bring you into the community. And and call your advisor. Call your grade level advisor and say, I would love to get connected. How do I get more connected? Yeah. And we'll definitely help you do that because we don't want anyone to feel like they're alone in this journey because, you know, they're not, you know, yeah. it can feel that way at times. First step, reach out, right? <laughs> yes, it's it's hard sometimes for some of us more than others. I'm more, I'm one, I think I'm an ambivert. I'm an extroverted yeah. in, introvert. That's me. Like, yeah. So. Well, we've got all three of us here because I used to be a hardcore extrovert. As uh, I've gotten older, I've become more introverted. So I think I'm meeting you in the middle there, Bonnie, with the ambivert. And it's, <laughs> um, you know, with the community, I mean, we are called to worship in community, to live in community. And, you know, we're looking to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so it's uh, it's important to have all those resources available to you and to know that they're out there, to know that someone wants to help you. And I, I love that anytime I need someone on our team, I can pick up the phone, that there's this whole office of support available for me as a teacher, as a parent, that I just can call the Colby Advising and say, hey. Yeah. And I love that it's a back and forth. I had a question from one of your teammates, Ashley, about I've got an, a, an incoming sophomore. She wants to take mm-hmm. creative writing. That's a senior course. Right. What do you think about that? And it was great to work with her on, you know, coming up with an answer for that. In this online world, it's so easy to be isolated or be disconnected or, you know, and then that can lead to disaffection, disenfranchisement, all the, all the dis things, right? But we want to be connected. And I think if people put in just a tiny bit of effort, there's this wealth of community just waiting for you. And that is exciting to be a part of and that people want you to be a part of. And so I love that there are all these different ways at Colby to connect with people and that there are ways for us to come together as a community. I know some teachers have sponsored movies after they've read the book and they'll, you know, have a Friday movie afternoon and that Mm -hmm. with uh, the Colby Christmas show and Colby's Got Talent and our spiritual life groups, so many different ways to connect. It's really heartening and impressive. We're all, you know, far flung. I've had a student from England. I've had a student from Alaska and Hawaii and, but that we can all come together in our online communities and feel connected, feel connected to people in England and Alaska and Las Vegas. And um, the internet just opens up all these worlds that you didn't know you had access to. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it's fun to hear our kids not too long after the start of the school year talk about their classmates and their friends. Like they have that sense of community. Like they've, they've gotten to know each other. It develops over the year when they have their discussion groups open where they can chat outside of class, I think, um, in the Schoology groups and the parents find each other locally or right. use the intermediary of, of Colby to get hooked up that way that they can kind of get to know each other. But even those who don't have Colby folks near them, that was us for a long time where we were the only Colby folks around. And But knowing all y'all were out there, that helped a lot. Um, I think it's sometimes more difficult for the parents to reach out and find that community among the other Colby parents than it is for the students in the online school. So knowing that this is available if we kind of reach out a little bit. And I think folks, when they get set up with Colby, enrolled with Colby, there's so much to get your arms around right at the beginning. For me, it kind of, some of it went in one ear and out the other. What you said about reaching out to the advisor is such key advice, like call your advisor, chat with your advisor, reach out to the advisor. The groups are, are great for 
all kinds of support. Sometimes the advisor is the one to ask though. <laughs> so yeah. One other area of, of your interest, Ashley, is that of the domestic church, I understand, and Kim, yours as well. So Ashley, in your studies and work as a, as a youth minister and in your social work and, and pastoral studies, this has been an area of your focus, right? The domestic church. So that's one of those terms I think that gets tossed out sometimes and some of us know it quite well and others don't. So will you tell us a bit about the domestic church? Sure. I you know, always bring it back to what is the faith life of your family? You know, and how are you fostering that communal faith life amongst all the different members of your family? So for me, it's something that, you know, I learned through my time as a missionary with NET is how to foster my own, you know, personal prayer life. And so when I think every um, person in your family now, it looks different when you have younger kids, right, who may or may not want to pray a decade of the rosary every day. Um, maybe it's just being, you know, praying one Hail Mary together. Um, but trying to find the way that you and your family members each um, can build that relationship with God through that intentional prayer time, whether it's, you know, when I was a missionary, it was 30 minutes in the day. Every morning we had to get up and pray for that set 30 minutes before we did anything else. And, you know, sometimes that looks different for whatever vocation or stage of life you're in. Sometimes it means you're praying while you're washing the dishes in the morning because that's your 10 minutes of quiet time before everyone wakes up, you know, or, you know, Kim might be at night when everyone else is asleep and she's awake. Um, you know, it just, whatever, whatever time that we can offer up that intentional prayer time with God, not that our, you know, whole days can't be that prayer time, but I would say the one thing that I really impressed upon my family is when I was youth minister was, what are the times of prayer that you're doing together and how do you increase that and how do you live liturgically you know and follow that liturgical cycle of the church in your own home life and i think my sister who's married and she has three kids and one on the way she she lives that so well of finding out the saints that her kids love to learn about and then doing an activity with them that week about that thing and sometimes it doesn't happen because life gets too busy when I see the excitedness of her kids learning about the saints and knowing that they're real people and knowing that we're called to be a saint and how do we live that now in our imperfections um, and as a family, that's really something that I'm excited about doing. You know, I'm recently married, so talking about those things now with my husband, like, okay, when we start having kids, what do we want that to look like? And how do we do that now? And how do we foster that joint prayer life? And, you know, whether it's daily mass together or, you know, monthly confession together at the same time. What are the things we're doing individually? What are the things we're doing together? How are we helping each other get to that goal of, of heaven? And I think when we see other people doing that, such as my sister, who's now four-year-old daughter can memorize and pray with such fierce emotion, the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, you know, and loves to talk about how, you know, God's going to defeat the devil. It's inspiring to see that in her. And so when we, we see that come alive in other people, it helps that same faith get sparked in our own life. Um, so I would say, you know, find what works for you when it comes to your relationship with God and, and, and continue to foster that in your family. But Kim? handing it over to you. Okay. I want to hear, I want to hear these notes. I'm so interested. Oh my gosh. These notes, you guys, it's like (laughs) six words. (laughs) Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, five words. Doesn't have to be complicated. You know, being a teacher, I always want these elaborate lesson plans. And so I had like this whole whiteboard of this is what we're going to do. Family, here's what our prayer time looks like. And guess what? It didn't happen because it was so 
daunting that I had to have all these things. And, and so simple is fine, especially if simple keeps it doable because you want something that you can do together as a family. You know, the family is the bedrock of society. And so if you integrate your faith into your life and, you know, keep that always an open conversation and tie it into what you're doing, it can look a, a lot of different ways. And, you know, sometimes the kids are like, oh, why are you bringing God into this? And I was like, are you kidding? God's everywhere. We're always going to be talking about God, fool. And so <laughs> just to make it ex- you know, something that's normal that, you know, okay, guys, time to say the blessing before meals or our family prayer time right now is at 830. And you know what? It's simple, but we do it together. And I have uh, gotten some feedback from them. I'm like, you guys, is this working for you? Because, you know, we try and sit down and do a whole family rosary and we were gung ho for like a week. And then, gosh, that takes 45 minutes. And gosh, I have homework. And gosh, I have marching band and dance. And so not that we shouldn't be making time for it. But at the same time, it needs to fit into your life. And so we have something that we've all agreed upon, that we've all bought into, and that we're all really happy with spending this time together and with God. And it's simple. And we make it a priority partly because we want to. I find that sometimes when we're being called to do something, Ashley, you said earlier that, you know, God's got to knock on your door for several times. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I need to get like the message like three times before I'll act <laughs> on it, which is ridiculous. But at the same time, if I'm going to do it, I need to buy into it. And so this is our current buy-in, something that everyone can do it doesn't feel like it's work because it doesn't take that much time and we keep it moving and it's enjoyable for everybody. And, you know, we can go deeper as we allow with our wide range of ages. The 17 year old can sit there and he is very faithful and he will sit there for 45 minutes. The six year old, not so much. And that's okay. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. And so I guess that's my big takeaway for the domestic church. It doesn't have to be overly elaborate, overly scheduled, overly complicated. It's just time for you and your family to chat with God in a meaningful, intentional way. So those are my notes. Those were my six words, my five words that turned into like this two minute monologue. So (laughs) that was great. Love it. Priority does not equal complicated necessarily. So like so many things, the simpler, the better, because that is more likely to get done, right? (laughs) the, The elaborateness diminishes the probability of it actually happening. So making it a priority and finding what works. Those are the keys. So true. Good stuff. Good stuff, ladies. This has been such a fun conversation with both of you. Thank you for taking the time to come visit with me today. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.